G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as the principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. Our series is entitled, The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 2, a verse-by-verse audio commentary. Friends, I am totally convinced that when we know and apply God's Word in our lives, we are victorious well-established, positioned for fruitfulness and fulfillment and every kind of blessing. In fact, we become recipients of the abundant life that Jesus came to this planet to give us. Now, to have that abundant life, it begins with dealing with the sin issue, and that's what the gospel does so powerfully. We are beginning John chapter 19. Three more chapters to go because it's 21 chapters altogether. And John chapter 19 has a very simple theme. It's about the crucifixion of Jesus. We've been going through the passion of Christ now through John 18, his arrest at Gethsemane, his rather illegal trial before the Jewish council, and now he's before Pontius Pilate. The Jewish council condemned Jesus for answering the question of whether he's the Messiah, which he answered in the affirmative, And now they're trying to get Pilate to execute Jesus, and to do so, they have to have him as a violator of Roman law, which, of course, he wasn't, but it's amazing how you can twist things to fit your perverse narrative. We have a lot of that happening even till now. So John chapter 19 is about the crucifixion, but this particular lesson is Jesus before Pilate. And that's John 19, verses 1 to 11. So with that in mind, I want to read to you just a few verses from this passage, and then down the track, we'll read the whole passage. But we'll start here, where Pilate brings Jesus out to the crowd. And in verse 5, and he says, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. Very interesting to say the least. What are we dealing with here? Pontius Pilate is fighting a losing battle 
trying to persuade the Jewish crowd and Jewish authorities that Jesus ought to be released. After all, he is the Roman procurator. Rome was known for its ancient version of rule of law, and that people could not be condemned without a proper trial with witnesses who were credible, so you could establish the veracity of their testimony, especially when it had something to do as dire as execution, you really wanted to make sure you got it right. Now, what is interesting, that here is a heathen Roman governor who was far more interested in rule of law than the Jewish authorities, even though it's from the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and, of course, the whole Bible itself, that we get a great sense of justice and law and ethics and many other wonderful things. So the people who should have cared about protocol, justice, proper procedure, and so on, couldn't care less, and the ones who knew nothing about the living God seemed to be more in line with the right thing. Pilate is trying to convince them that Jesus should be released, and they're trying to convince Pilate that he ought to be executed. Ultimately, they would prevail, but only because it was part of the sovereign will of God. God does defend and fight for his own, his righteous ones, but there are times when a greater good is done by letting nature take its course. And this is one of those instances. Jesus being handed over to death to pay the price of sin and condemnation on our behalf. Let's read the entire portion of John chapter 19, verses 1 to 11. Our lesson is called Jesus Before Pilate. And again the reference, John chapter 19, verses 1 to 11. Let's listen to the word of God. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. 
Our reading is from John chapter 19, verses 1 to 11, and our lesson is called Jesus Before Pilate. Well, it all begins pretty miserably. The righteous, holy Son of God is being scourged. For what? Basically, to appease the mob that stood before Pilate. That is not justice. The Lord was coming into the final, most intense, and most painful part of his short-lived, but incredibly, incredibly full passion. Condemned by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious council, he received an audience before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate deemed Jesus to be an innocent and harmless man. Nevertheless, in order to placate the Jewish leadership, who apparently chose Barabbas over Jesus to be freed at Passover, they were becoming increasingly vocal and belligerent. So Pilate did an unjust thing. He scourged Jesus. For what? For upsetting his religious leadership. Remember, that's outrageous in itself. But something I pointed out in the last lesson, and that is the Jewish leadership chose a seditionist, a robber, a murderer named Barabbas, rather than Jesus himself. Think about it. This perverse choice is not unique. It happens all the time. Proverbs speaks about it. Indeed, the Bible speaks about it. That oftentimes we will choose people bereft of godliness and character, either because they're deemed useful, like in the case of Barabbas, or deemed powerful and successful. And the problem is we all suffer to some degree in our carnal state of idolatry towards success. We worship success, but we treat failure like some kind of disease. The fact is, the most successful people have all tasted a failure, but they persisted until they overcame and rose to the top. 19.2 of Gospel of John, a crown for a king. The Roman soldiers were obviously bored with their duties because, well, basically they had nothing to do. So to pass the time away, they decided to mock the king of the Jews. They fashioned a crown made of thorns, long and painful, and they put this crown of thorns on Jesus' head. Though this was not a lethal object, it was no doubt very painful. Then they put on Jesus a purple robe to go with the crown. And then in verse 3, they pronounced, Hail, King of the Jews. At the same time, while they're making this cynical chant, they smote Jesus with their hands. Well, you see, isn't that what happened to Jesus in the Sanhedrin? He was smote there before the Jewish leadership, and now he's smitten under the watch of Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. You see, when evil reigns, it seeks to dishonor and destroy the righteous. Ultimately, it will fail miserably, but it does have a moment in the dark. Then Pilate makes a statement in John 19, verse 4. I find no fault in him. Pilate then takes the scourged, humiliated Christ, wearing the crown of thorns, 
and the purple robe to be presented afresh to the Jewish leadership. He makes the statement, I find no fault in him. Perhaps Pilate reasoned that if Christ was abused a little, that would placate his enemies and they'd probably be okay with him being released. Not a chance. It did nothing of the kind. In fact, the humiliation of Christ unjustly before his enemies only inflamed them, not placated them. So Pilate says in John 19 and verse 5, Ecce homo. Ecce homo is Latin, the language of the Roman Empire. And Ecce homo means behold the man. Jesus now stood in a prominent place where the Jewish leadership and crowd could easily see him. He already had bloodstains. He already had the crown of thorns, the purple robe. He looked like he'd gone through the ringer. And yet he is told or proclaimed as the man. He already has suffered a lot, but that was not enough. The mob wanted him to suffer to the full, even to the point of death on the cross. So they say in John 19, verse 6, robotically, the chief priests and the officers, once they saw him, they didn't want to worship him. They chanted, crucify him, crucify him. No doubt they were coached to do this. And Pilate then says, again, another passing of the buck, you take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. Pilate was shifting the responsibility. Justice already had been miscarried because Jesus, for example, did not need a Passover pardon from Pilate like Barabbas because he was totally innocent of any crime, literal or perceived. Yet here he is still a prisoner because Pilate had the unfortunate attitude of appeasement to the chief priests. Good leaders do not practice appeasement. They are courageous, they stand up for what is just and right, and they're willing to take the flack like headwinds in order to pursue the pathway that is set before them. Well, that certainly is not Pontius Pilate. And apparently, according to the Jewish historian Josephus, who wrote in the first century AD, and I do encourage people to get a copy of Josephus's writings, they are indispensable if you want to know Bible history and Bible background. But Josephus implies that Roman procurators became increasingly more abusive and corrupt as time went on. Pilate was no angel, but his successors apparently would be even worse. We have a law, John 19, verse 7. Our law says that Jesus must die because he says he is the Son of God. His claim to kingship was a secondary offense compared to his claim to equality with God Almighty, at least in their mind. But remember, Jesus didn't put the accent mark on being divine. He put the accent mark on being the Messiah, and he did it in response to a question, not something he shouted from the housetops. So then Pilate, who's meant to be a rough, tough guy, instead becomes more afraid. John 19 Verse 8, when Pilate heard that Jesus made a claim to divinity, even above kingship, he became more nervous. After all, 
Pilate served a Roman emperor who claimed to be divine too. Yet this humble preacher from Nazareth rattled Pilate's sense of security and even identity. He was wondering, what have I gotten myself into? And is there any way I can get out of this with the outcome I want? Well, the answer is basically no, he won't. He will be railroaded to a very unsavory and unjust course of action, sending Jesus with a cross to Calvary. So this is how it's going to be. Back to Jesus in John 19, verse 9. A disturbed Pilate goes back to speak to Jesus directly, especially because he was told that he's not only claiming to be a king, but claiming to be the Son of God. He had already heard from him earlier. Now he demanded to know from where did Jesus come. However, the Lord did not answer him. He was fulfilling Isaiah 53 and verse 7. Remember, much of the passion is basically a fulfillment of ancient prophecies uttered centuries before. And so Isaiah 53 verse 7 says, As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. John 19.10, speak up. This is not the response one would expect from a criticized, about-to-be-condemned man. Pilate would have thought that Jesus would seize the moment to defend himself or even plead for his release. So Pilate reminds the Lord that he should respond to him because Pilate has the power to release him or to crucify him. Jesus' response, which is our last verse for this lesson, is very unnerving to the Roman governor. John 19.11 Jesus knows all about power, the source of power, the potential, and the results. He then answers Pilate with this statement, Your power does not come from you, yourself. Neither does it come from Rome. It comes from above. In other words, all power ultimately comes from God. Then Jesus goes on to say, He who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Who is Jesus referring to? Judas Iscariot? Caiaphas? The chief priests? All of the above? All that we know is Pilate is a sinner, and those who facilitated his meeting with Jesus were even greater sinners. So our lesson is called Jesus Before Pilate. What is our lesson for life? Pilate received power from above for a greater and higher purpose, the redemption of taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.